Hey, Bettys. Welcome to the Better Podcast. It's your host, Dr. Stephanie. It is geeky magic time where I step away from the interviews and just talk to you. It's just going to be me and you today. And these episodes, I'm going to bring you personal insights, frequently asked questions, topic du jour in a more condensed, quick, and actionable way. I go hard on the geek, wrap it up with sprinkles and magic for you to do and be better. All right. All right. This is our third mashup of celebrating the better podcast in 2021. And we are doing a dive on hormones in this mashup. Now, this is probably one of the bigger topics that you'll hear me speak about, especially as it pertains to female physiology and why we need to, whether you are a clinician, which I know a lot of you are clinicians, uh, you are just someone who is trying to live a better life and understand how her hormones, you know, your hormones impact your life, or you are just a health seeker and you want to help other people, including yourself. This mashup is the best of the best. And we have some really heavy hitters in this show. And I'm really, really excited to go over them with you. And of course, this is a central topic in terms of what I teach uh, healthcare practitioners, uh, which is something that I have just recently started doing uh, towards the second half of uh, 2021 and just loving it. You're going to hear more and more about it in 22. But one of the things I want is to help more and more clinicians, irrespective of the designations that you have. Have, uh, to help more females and to be able to nuance protocols that are more, um, uh, we'll call it male in their origin and how to apply that to the female form. So the first clip that we have here with you today, one of our top episodes in the podcast of all time, Dr. Sarah Gottfried. And this Part, this clip is actually from the beginning of our conversation before we dive into hormones, before we dive into her book, Women, Food and Hormones, which is what she was discussing for the majority of her time with me in the show. We started we started talking about other healthcare providers, namely other OBGYNs, as uh, Sarah is an OBGYN, a practicing OBGYN. And how other, and not just OBGYNs, but other medical professionals really do seem to take, there's a subset of these practitioners that really do seem to dismiss hormone regulation as this airy fairy uh, silliness that is not to be uh, embraced and or looked at specifically uh, when we think about estrogen dominance. Uh, when we think about a lot of some of the hormonal dysregulation that I talk about uh, in the Betty body and as some of the guests that uh, I will highlight here in this mashup on hormones, you'll see highlight as well. And it can be really frustrating, particularly with the OBGYNs. Now I, you know, I, I, I'm happy to name names if uh, someone reaches out specifically <laughs> and asks me, uh, but in the name of keeping it classy, you'll know that uh, you should be slowly backing out the door, potentially running if your OBGYN or any, uh, for that matter, any healthcare practitioner uh, cannot explain to you how nutrition uh, plays into, um, you know, plays into hormonal dysregulation, how movement therapy and or stress management plays into it. And maybe we'll even take it a step further and say that these hormone dysregulations even exist. Uh, you'll often find them uh, touting this party line of, um, 
you know, if it if it exists without evidence, you can dismiss it uh, just as easily. And of course, it's all about what you're willing to accept as evidence. Of course, as an OBGYN or someone who works in the hormonal space, like an endocrinologist, who often are also really big offenders. Um, they, if there's not a, if there's not a drug that they can prescribe for it, you're often out the door, uh, sort of being told that it's all in your head and, or it's part of aging and, or it's normal. Um, there are a couple of really, uh, egregious, uh, offenders, I'll say that will in the name of, dif- uh, you know, dismantling the patriarchy, uh, we'll talk about this idea that, um, that there's no such thing as hormonal dysregulation. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll I'll just kind of leave it at that because it's, it, and some of these, uh, you know, practitioners, I've just simply had to unfollow because they are, they basically target people who do not have the same opinions as them and have named themselves as the, um, the regulatory body, they've taken it upon themselves to uh, dismantle, discredit and do whatever, uh, whatever they deem necessary, not their regulatory body, they themselves, their own personal opinion, uh, what they deem necessary. So if you already don't have a clue of who I'm talking about, there's a, <laughs> it's not that hard to find, but we're going to keep it classy. We're not going to hold names, but I'd love for you to listen to Dr. Sarah Gottfried, who Good God, she's a goddess, like so elegantly uh, kind of runs through why this type of pervasive thinking still exists in this allopathic model where we have many doctors who will dismiss hormonal dysregulation. And unfortunately, you can't levy the blame entirely on them. It is the system that they've grown up in, right? It's the system that has taught them that if there's not a medication for it, or, you know, if there's not a, uh, you know, there's not a, um, you know, a certain test that they deem is evidence-based, then it's, then it's worthy of just dismissing it. And so uh, Dr. Godfrey talks about um, estrogen dominance in the context of, of course, obviously breast cancer. This is one of the areas that we know is very, uh, you know, I I hate using the word science is settled uh, because science never settles. It's an ongoing inquiry, but where there is a lot of theory that has been that is able to withstand the test of time and be able to withstand inquiry around you know when you run estrogen dominant there is a lot of uh fallout that can happen from that one of them is uh breast cancer and dr godfried uh talks about this um sort of as we are the only time that we're really concerned about hormones truthfully when we're thinking about the allopathic model proper is when a woman wants to get pregnant and it's like okay, I totally get it. We're going to test the LSH and FSH and estradiol and all the things. But how about when a woman isn't looking to get pregnant? How about when she's just looking to feel her best? Because, you know, we've all seen, you know, and I say this with love, uh, we've all seen, you know, men go into, you know, their, um, their primary and they start, they, they can, they complain that maybe their primary is at lower libido or mood disorder and they get testosterone right off the bat. So she talks about uh, the metabolic hormone insulin and its role in estrogen dysregulation. So without further delay, enjoy this uh, sort of preamble uh, conversation that made it into the podcast with Dr. Sarah Gottfried. I get a lot of questions about how to ease perimenopause and menopause symptoms. And here's a really simple answer for you. Take a good mineral supplement. 
your body loses a ton of minerals as you transition through perimenopause and menopause, and mineral deficiencies make a lot of the common symptoms worse. For example, if you're struggling with poor sleep, fatigue, joint pain, hot flashes, or any other side effects that are wearing you down, you might think about giving Beam Minerals a try. Their full-spectrum mineral supplement contains every single mineral that you lose during perimenopause and menopause, and there is a meaningful dose here with close to 100% bioavailability. All you have to do is take a shot of liquid every morning to replenish your mineral stores and ease the symptoms that you might be experiencing. Beam Minerals just taste like water, and you'll feel the difference within a few days. Head over to beamminerals.com and use the code better for 20% off. You know, I, I went through the same training as those very people that you're talking about who dismiss the idea that nutrition can affect hormones, that hormone dysregulation is part of the struggle that many of us as women have with weight and we're all looking at the same literature. So in some ways it's surprising to see these very blanket statements about uh, the lack lack of existence of some of these conditions. Let's just take a few examples here because I think that's helpful in terms of getting specific. So if we talk first about what I think of as dysestrogenism, So having an imbalance with your estrogen, usually having too much relative to progesterone, but it could also be, you know, the type of estrogen metabolites that you have. What we know is that, you know, John Lee originally coined the phrase estrogen dominance, and it was defined as the number of molecules of progesterone you have in your saliva compared to the number of molecules that you have of estradiol. And if there's an imbalance, if you have, you know, less than a ratio of 100 to 1, then that is a suggestion that you have what he called estrogen dominance. But if you look at the literature, and I've looked at this pretty thoroughly, I've got thousands of citations in my book, and you look at something like breast cancer, oncologists are well aware that dysestrogenism, having an imbalance with your estrogen, is one of the primary causes or factors when it comes to breast cancer. So that's, I think, one example of the way that, in some ways, mainstream medicine misses the mark. So I had the same training. I don't fault these clinicians. I was told that you shouldn't check hormones because they fluctuate too much. Uh, you know, just sort of throughout the day and day to day. And the truth is, if someone's trying to get pregnant, if a woman's, you know, in her premenopausal reproductive age and she's trying to get pregnant, we check all the hormones, right? We look at estrogen on day three. We look at FSH, follicle stimulating hormone. We look at thyroid. We sometimes look at cortisol and DHEA because we know that those are factors when it comes to fertility. So my feeling is that there's a double standard here, which is if you're not trying to get pregnant, we basically blow off this idea that hormones are part of metabolism, part of the energy that you create, part of these biochemical processes that you have in the body, and that it only is relevant to check them if you're trying to get pregnant. Now, I'm just going to call that patriarchal society because I I think that's, that's part of the issue here. And it wasn't until I was in my 30s when I was struggling with my own metabolic hormones that I realized, okay, what I learned in medical school and residency 
isn't sufficient. I need to dive deeper here. And, you know, you take a hormone like insulin, there's no debate that insulin is the most important metabolic hormone. And yet, how many mainstream physicians are actually measuring insulin in their patients? Very few. So I think there's a double standard, and that's what I hope to address with this book. I want to close that gap because it's enough already with women suffering with their hormones and not getting the help that they need. And here we have Dr. Felice Gersh. She is an expert in perimenopause and menopausal women and an expert as well in hormone replacement therapy. And that is what we were talking all about in this, uh, in our, our podcast together. And so if you want to learn more about bioidenticals, if you want to learn more about hormone replacement therapy, this check out the full length episode. And I wanted to include this here because, you know, one of the comments that she made, and this is sort of piggybacking off of uh, Sarah's comment around sort of the problem with traditional healthcare is she makes a comment uh, that is, uh, I'll paraphrase it, but you'll hear it in the, in the clip where she says, you know, I, you know, when we talk about natural, like my job as a doctor is to play with natural, which I thought was just so true. And uh, so um, I thought it was very funny and I wanted to include this in here. And she's talking about how essentially our cells actually don't know how old we are. It's just through the concentration of certain hormones. It's the capacity of our mitochondria that our cells kind of figure out what's up. So if we are, in this case, talking about bioidentical, you know, hormonal replacement therapy or hormonal replacement therapy, uh, if we are able to... Uh, call it quote unquote trick our cells into thinking that they are younger. You know, when we think about men, you know, women in their reproductive years, we have much higher levels of estrogen than our uh, postmenopausal sisters do. If we are adding in estrogen into the mix, then we can help ourselves think maybe potentially trick, um, not to use a word. I don't, I don't enjoy this, but we'll say biohack, you know, biohack our cells into thinking that they're younger. So enjoy my conversation with the wild goddess that is Dr. Felice Gersh. So once you understand all of the different metabolic effects of estrogen, how it actually has a, a role in maintaining the health and function of every single organ system in the body without any exceptions, then yes, it's natural. And that's always been sort of like, you know, it's natural. So why would you mess with natural? Well, guess what? I'm a doctor. That's all I do is mess with natural. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's what I do. You know, well, I cancer want... is natural. I mean, like that's, that's sort of right. a, that's such you a know? ubiquitous term, like natural, like, you know, there's many things like aluminum, exactly. mercury is natural, you know, like we don't my, have my it, goal you know? is as a doctor is to understand what it takes to help the body to function optimally and then to try to keep it in that state at any age of life and through any circumstance, including like pregnancy, puberty, you know, middle aged, older age, whatever it is. And when you think about it, when is a woman optimally healthy? We're not talking about during pregnancy. Um, it's really when she's like in her 20s. OK, so then you think, oh, what's the hormonal environment of the human body when a woman is in her 20s well it's filled with estrogen naturally you know so that's really what i want to maintain if you think about it no cell in the body actually 
knows how old it is. If you give it what it needs in order to do its job, all of its metabolic functions, its intracellular issues that it needs to take care of, if you give it what it needs, no matter how old that cell is, it'll perform. But what happens with aging is it's an accumulation of deficiencies. Once you lose your foundational hormones, like estrogen and, and progesterone, I think of as also, of course, very important and testosterone, you know, there's no unimportant hormone, but if I create sort of a hierarchy, I tend to put estrogen at the the top and then the others all work together you need everything you know it's like a recipe which ingredient do you want to leave out well some may be more important than others you, you can't bake bread and just leave out the flour but maybe you could leave out the salt or something like that not that i'm a baker but you know <laughs> in terms of coming up with what could you possibly live without and still be you know it tastes pretty good or it, you're still really healthy and unfortunately estrogen is not really optional for optimal health once you really understand what it's doing throughout the body. So what I would want to do is to give the cells what it needs. So hormones are really messengers. They're information delivery systems. And so if you don't have that information coming into the cell, it won't do what is optimal for the body as a whole, for the organ that it's in, and then for the whole body that it's residing in. So if we can try to maintain something of a physiologic environment with our hormones for ourselves, then we'll have a better functioning body. All right. And then wading into the hormonal waters, we are talking about androgen dominance and estrogen dominance with Dr. Mohammed. He came on the show. He is the executive director at a company that I often use with my clients called the DNA company. And in this clip, we are talking about different types of uh, morphological presentations in a woman. Essentially, we're talking about the metabolism of testosterone and where that can go awry into androgen dominance and estrogen metabolism and where that can go awry into estrogen dominance and how that might play out in terms of a woman's morphological, uh, you know, her baseline uh, morphology. Now, of course, that's not to say that you can't change the way that you look like genetics is the first piece of the puzzle. And of course, your epigenetics through stress management and sleep and resistance training and nutrition can, of course, change the way that you uh, appear. Uh, so for example, if you are someone who runs estrogen dominance, so you tend to deposit more of your fat through the lower half of your body, the quote unquote pear uh, type of uh, body shape, you can of course change that appearance through building more of an hourglass frame, which is what I talk a lot about where we build up our shoulders, we widen our shoulders, we widen our back so that our, you know, the upper part of our body can match the lower uh, part of our body. And there's nothing to be, I am a pair, you know, like that is my natural uh, fat distribution is through the lower tummy, the hips, the bum, the thighs. I've often said my thighs never are not going to touch. Like they're always going to touch. I'm always going to have a booty, whether or not it's in style. You know, like I grew up in an era where the big booty was not in style. And then of course, like hat tip to JLo and Shakira and and the Latin, you know, sort of revolution uh, and the Kardashians as well, who've sort of popularized uh, sort of larger, more rounder, we'll call it um, behinds. 
Um, and I, you know, as it goes out of style, which I'm sure it will, I will still remain with the same base booty, right? So I uh, hear Dr. Muhammad is talking about androgen dominance, estrogen dominance, and then what the fallout is for each different, you know, each type of genetic predisposition to uh, interventions like the pill, for example. So enjoy this conversation, fascinating conversation in general. The female body has the ability to polarize to have both androgen signal development as well as estrogen signal development. The male body has the same. Now, all things equal, the male body is designed to respond more to the androgen signals, less to the estrogen signals, the female body vice versa. But both body types, both sexes, and obviously we understand that there are things in between, but both general body types are going to respond accordingly. So as you've just noted, what we see in the androdominant female, that, that, the, that when she was in university, she was the soccer player, the triathlete, she can, you know, all of the things that we can describe about her. But when she gets a little older, she, you know, she wasn't watching her diet as much. And if she starts to put weight on, she'll put weight on in the more male-like feature. You know, how many males do we see? They can still walk around with skinny legs, you know, and whatever, but a big gut. They're not putting it on. They're not packing it on in the bum or the thighs. That's an andro an andro imprinting because of how the abdominal fat cells respond when it comes to weight gain. And so that female that is androdominant for the genetic characteristics that we've just spoken of will have that type of morphology behavior. But also, Stephanie, and we'll get into a little bit more of this nuance and finesse when we get into the metabolism of the hormones, these two young women can also experience differences to the length, clarity, of and circadian rhythm of their hormone cycles, that more androgenized young woman where she's not creating and converting her androgens into estrogens because her aromatization is lower, to say nothing of the fact that she was also more androdominant for all of the reasons we've said, she may, for example, start to experience irregularity to her cycles and that that irregularity is exacerbated much more easily if she were to become very athletic, how many female athletes, now look at the, look, here's the, which comes first, the chicken or the egg. Many times they're female athletes, and of course, depending on the sport in question, because they had a more androgenized genetic cascade as per what we've just described. And mind you, then the, because of the stresses and the physical exertion in their bodies, which accentuates the androgenization of the body and which creates a cortisol imbalance to the body, which therefore creates a progesterone imbalance, which therefore further androgenizes the body. How many female athletes, elite female athletes, miss their monthly cycles altogether? Why? Because their cycle now has lost the crispness of the peaks and valleys of progesterones, androgens, and estrogens, which you need the peak of estrogen and then it coming down to trigger ovulation and to trigger menses. When we begin to not flatten, but when we begin to reduce those peaks and valleys, pushing everything more towards androgenization, we do not get the circadian triggers that lead to ovulation and menses in those elite female athletes that are already androgenized and their very lifestyle androgenizes them further. 
Sodium is an essential nutrient involved in the maintenance of normal cellular balance, the regulation of fluid and electrolytes, and your blood pressure. Start your morning right with a refreshing salty tonic of LMNT. It's spring season now, which means I will be enjoying watermelon or grapefruit salt on ice, and it is a fabulous way to balance stress hormones and make sure that I am maximizing my muscle gains. Element T also has a no questions asked refund policy. Try watermelon or any flavor that you want, and if you don't like it, they will refund your money no questions asked, and you don't even need to return the box. Head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash Dr. Estima. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And you will get a free LMNT sample pack with any purchase. Case in point, the flip of this, the young women that are by nature much more estrogenized, because of the estrogen dominance in their body, they may see other uh, menstrual cycle uh, uh, variances. They may be the young woman that particularly, the first group of young women, we tend to find missing cycles. We tend to find, especially based on lifestyle choices, they just might miss their cycles. They may be very light. They may not follow a circadian rhythm that is as clearly defined. That's your andro-dominant cycle, all things equal. Your estro-dominant cycle, they may have cycles like clockwork, but they may start noticing that if, especially if they do not do something about extreme estro-dominance, they start spotting a cool five, seven days before their real cycle. Why? Because the clarity between their estrogen versus progesterone, that progesterone that you need enough, enough of, which in estrodominance is quickly going from progesterone to testosterone to estrogens, you're therefore losing a different type of clarity versus the androdominant woman. She does not have enough progesterone to maintain the clarity of the uterine lining to maintain the integrity of the uterine lining. So she starts spotting, she starts getting some cellular scuffing earlier, even before her real menses kicks in. So just by looking at this level, and we're going to go deeper for all of the listeners out there, just at this level, as Dr. Estima has pointed out, we can infer body morphology. We can even infer things like behavioral tendencies, proclivities to anxiety, proclivities to the concepts of PMS reside largely in what we've just said and some of what we're about to say. So we can define morphology and we can define what is happening in that female cycle. And one last point here is, Stephanie, can you imagine then when we take that ultra androgenized female per every genetic factor that we just said, and then we put her on the pill. In fact, let's take both roommates. So they're now 19 years old. They're off on their own. They're at university. And for the first time in their lives, they're both going to go on the pill. And so they go to the campus clinician who, after speaking to them, knowing their roommates, everything else, puts them on the same pill. And this particular same pill happens to be a slightly heavy dose or higher dose estrogen pill. The young woman who was already estrodominant her going on that estrogenized protocol, it will have, and it can have certain changes in her body. But what about that underdominant female that from the time she was 11 or 12 to the time she's 19, those seven years, her body was not at all anywhere close to being bathed in the levels of estrogens. And by the way, when you go on the pill, 
this particular pill, she's on estrogens, not for about the seven days between days 12 of the cycle and, you know, days 19, give or take. She's on an estrogen exposure for 21 days of her cycle. What do you think her body that was not seeing that level of estrogens and therefore her cells were not behaving, her cells were behaving in a more andro feature phenotype. What is going to happen to her body and how might her body respond when she's put on that pill? So the point here, before we go further, is as Dr. Estima has pointed out, we can infer morphology. We can infer cycle differences and cycle normalcies and certain dysfunctions. We can infer how the body might respond depending on the birth control of choice. These are profound things and they become even more profound, Stephanie, when we go to the next level. All right. Coming up next, we got Dr. Carrie Jones. This was her second time on the show. She was on last year and then another time this year for a class uh, that we did live inside uh, my membership. And in this clip, she's talking about how stress can affect your menstrual cycle. And she does, you know, Carrie is a teacher, you know, and we know, of course, the word doctor, Latin for the root, from, from the root word dottore, meaning to teach, uh, is an excellent teacher. So I love her analogy around, you know, as we reach menopause, where the ovaries are no longer, you know, working anymore, you know, the adrenals sort of look around like very similarly in a, you know, in a corporate situation, if you had, you know, a vital member of your team quit, you know, you're sort of left with taking up the task of the, the, the employee who left. And, you know, she sort of parallels this with your adrenals and, you know, the adrenals, you can just kind of imagine them like kind of looking around going, Hey, where's lefty and righty. You know, just love, love the way that Carrie explains things and how, we often don't make the connection between either acute stress or chronic low-grade stress on our menstrual cycle. And it is absolutely one of the primary factors in hormonal dysregulation is whether or not your, your uh, cortisol levels and or your HPA access, uh, access is in check. So without further delay, here is the great Dr. Carrie Jones talking about cortisol and our menstrual cycles. When you are cycling, this is this is how I view it. So when you're cycling and even into, into perimenopause, your ovaries um, are still a fully functioning gland or at least a partially functioning gland. And they are taking a lot of the pressure off of your other glands to carry their load of the work. So for those of you, you know, maybe in your job, you work with a team. And so everybody on the team plays a role. And if somebody's on the team is not really doing their job or missing or retires or quits, then either you have to pick up the slack or you have to hire for that position in your body. You can't hire for the position. You can't. So once the ovaries do decide to retire, then the adrenal glands are like, where did lefty and righty go? Like <laughs> who is making estrogen and progesterone and what, who's picking up the slack? Nobody's really picking up the slack, which is why the hormones drop so low. So you miss out on all that lovely, robust estrogen and progesterone that was helping so many things way beyond female health, way beyond making a baby. I mean, you, you're all your immune system cells have estrogen on it. Your estrogen is super critical for your brain, just like progesterone is your bones, your joints, your skin, your heart, everything. And so now with menopause is those levels drop from way up here to way down here and cortisol and the adrenals and your adrenaline system is like, oh crap, the, we have to 
it, we get more, they get more triggered. They get more uh, sensitive. They react more because you don't have the lushness of the estrogen and progesterone to help carry the weight with everything else. And so what I tell women is that when you're going through menopause, it's like reverse puberty. So if you remember every, all the, you know, like crap took to get you into puberty and you know how awesome that was. And now imagine backing out of it. And so you need, you need your stress health, your stress response, how you manage stress dialed in at that time, because it's a wild ride if you haven't gone through it yet, uh, or you're not in it yet. And um, it in itself can be stressful. And then you add the world on top of it. You add your family, you add your kids, you add your job, you add the news, you add a virus, you add a pandemic, you add chemicals and toxicants and la 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 on top of, and it's just the last drop in the bucket and the bucket overfloweth and you don't feel very good. So I a hundred percent agree with you. I, when women ask me at what age should I start with stress management? I'm like, yes, the earlier, the better when it's <laughs> women, when they're thirties, I'm like, start now. I know you are at the height probably of forming, creating maybe families or your job or your entrepreneurship or whatever it is. Um, and you feel like I don't have time for this and I seem to be doing fine. And it's totally fine for me to burn the non-toxic candle at both ends. But trust me, if you continue it, it's going to make your forties and fifties a lot rougher. And just like you do, I, and I see it all the time in my patients who slam into perimenopause and menopause as opposed to slide or glide into perimenopause or menopause. And Dr. Maritza Snyder, uh, I have known Maritza for several, several years now, and she is such a powerhouse in her own right. And it's so wonderful, actually, as we've been preparing these mashups for me to go back and look at all the amazing women uh, that I've interviewed and have the pleasure of just knowing and being having friends and colleagues uh, in these women. And certainly Maritza is, is that. And here she is talking about, we were talking about the release of her book, uh, The Essential Oil guide to menopause. And we are talking here particularly about the effects again of stress and estrogen dominance. So this is one of the classes you might say of hormonal dysregulation, estrogen dominance tends to be very much dismissed by some of these more traditional allopathic, uh, we'll call them stagnant uh, and outdated uh, um, uh, healthcare professionals. And so Maritza is really talking about how in her own life, she really found that stress was her secret edge. And I totally resonate with this because I, as a, you know, as a <laughs> continuing to be a reformed perfectionist, used to think that the more stressed out I was, the better I would perform. And of course, I was just running myself into the ground and you know, in the race to the bottom, <laughs> there is no winner. Uh, so here is Dr. Maritza's story and how, and she very beautifully intertwines this again with teaching in terms of how stress and estrogen dominance are related. I, one of my favorite, my favorite things to say is you cannot green smoothie your way out of chronic stress Yeah, and you can't kale salad your way. And now I know I just touted all the benefits of green smoothies and kale salads. I recognize. And will they help you? 100%. Um, but we, you know, and, and will supplementation support you? You know, can you, can you give back to your mitochondria because your mitochondria is actually the one that's making cortisol? Yes, you can absolutely 
absolutely take the alpha lipoic acid. You could take the acetyl L-carnitine. You can take the CoQ10. Um, I can keep naming all the things that your mitochondria needs to function. But at the end of the day, if you're constantly in a state of, of triggering up the stress response system, you're going to constantly continue to keep depleting. Yeah. And we know that um, one of the biggest hormones involved, um, cortisol, is is going to have a profound impact on so many other hormone systems inside of the body, including estrogen dominance. Absolutely. Um, I think one of the, the things that a lot of us don't know is that we think about cortisol, we think about the survival hormone, which yes, it is. But then one of the number one jobs of cortisol is to regulate insulin. And when we have a situation where cortisol isn't working properly, like when it's big, it's overly, we're just firing it off over and over and over again. You are then firing off insulin over and over. So we're constantly crying wolf. And what we know, you know, not to say that I'm not concerned about liver function and, and, and what happens with the liver and the gut when it comes to inflammation. But I always say that the number one hormone that women need to focus on when it comes to when it comes to our 40s and beyond is insulin because insulin we think about even you know we think about hemoglobin a1c as an inflammatory marker because of insulin resistance and that is also showing us um, that insulin resistance leads to dementia or cardiovascular disease or cancer or you know a number of different chronic conditions and what a lot of us don't know is one of the biggest triggers for insulin resistance is going to be deregulated cortisol levels due to how we're managing stress in our stress response system on the daily. Um, and what we don't recognize, I think, Stephanie, what you said is that anytime we, we find ourselves kind of, you know, kind of like that, like we just get a text message or we're running late to a meeting or something's happening with our family or whatever that may be, you know, the average woman can, can fire off the stress response system 25 to 50 times a day and just not even know it. Um, and we talked about this. I, I, in my twenties, I was addicted to stress. I was, I leveraged it. I used to call stress my slide edge because that's when I felt that jolt of that little extra something, something that needed, I could use to get through the rest of my day. Um, and I just kept leveraging and leveraging and buying against it until I had severe chronic fatigue. And so Oftentimes, a lot of us, we're mistaking what we think is that extra something, that little extra energy, that extra jolt that we just got. Um, that's adrenaline, right? And that th what you just in order for us to have harnessed that adrenaline, we had to fire off the, um, the stress response system, the HPA axis, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. And once we get into a habit of of pushing that button, we, we, we trigger it more and more and more. And, um, and initially we can get away with it. We could potentially get away with it for a decade, maybe even two decades. Um, and we can kind of brush off symptoms as, you know, just every day. That's how women are. That's, that's just the way things are for us. Um, but eventually it's going to start to show up. It's going to start to show up in pre-diabetes. It may show up in an autoimmune condition, or often I see it usually shows up in chronic fatigue and burnout. 
Another person I felt like I have known for many years is Nicole Jardim. And I had her on um, the show, actually second half of this year. I think we, I think I had her in September or October. So not too long ago. And her book uh, is an excellent um, how to fix your period is the name of her book, uh, is an excellent, uh, parallel really to the Betty body. We've written about the same things. And it's funny because when I saw her book, I'm like, oh, she chose a pink cover. How interesting. And then I was kind of like my book's pink and, you know, sort of looking through her book. I was like, wow, we are really on the same page here. So I had reached out to her and asked her to come on the show and just instantly felt, uh, you know, a connection, uh, to this woman. So in this clip, she is talking about, uh, the two, uh, we'll call it the mother hormone and the bonus parent, uh, pregnenolone, which a lot of people have never heard of, uh, and D H E A and what those two hormones do and why they're so important for estrogen and progesterone and, and everything and testosterone, um, and why we often skip over these two. Uh, but she's so beautifully and masterfully, uh, talks about this in her book and in this clip clip as well. So enjoy. Cortisol and insulin are at the top. They're the queen bee hormones and they really dictate so much. And like we were talking about, it's nice in that, you know, that a lot of the problems are just from one root cause. And it's usually the stressors in our lives and then the blood sugar dysregulation. So if you get those mostly under control, things will start to improve significantly. And with pregnenolone, uh, you know, I wrote about this because I feel like pregnenolone is this another unsung hero responsible for basically the production of all of these hormones. It's a precursor to everything, essentially. And yet nobody even knows that it exists. And people have said that to me all the time. What's pregnenolone? Is that progesterone? <laughs> and so I feel so bad for poor pregnenolone. But yeah, maybe but no one knows it exists, but it's incredible because it's a precursor to all of these hormones. And it also does a bunch of other things as well. It's really supportive of our mood and our energy and motivation. Uh, it's also really helpful for, um, you know, other things going on with our brain function as well. Uh, like I said, depression, anxiety, all of these kinds of symptoms that relate to our mental health are uh, are soothed by pregnenolone. It's supportive of sleep. Um, and like I said, PMS symptoms typically are not going to be a problem if you have a decent amount of pregnenolone. I, I just, I think with pregnenolone, what is, is so good is that, uh, you know, when we start to, like I said, get that, get our cortisol and our stress hormones under control, usually pregnenolone starts to sort itself out. And it really, I don't feel like from my experience, it becomes a problem until later on, like when you're in your forties, for the most part, like in your twenties and thirties, you're usually all good. Uh, with pregnenolone, what I think is important to remember is that we don't need to supplement with it because I think that a lot of people think, oh, pregnenolone, amazing. It's the hormone that's going to make all of my other hormones. Great. I'll just take some of that. But it doesn't really work like that for everyone who's questioning whether they should take something like that or DHEA. It isn't a hormone that you just take and then hope for the best because there are lots of different hormone pathways and depending on your genetics and what's going on in your life, you might make more of one hormone and not another. So it's really important to just keep that in mind and like work from the top down. So not be supplementing with something yes. like pregnant. Well said, you're well said. you can't, I mean, this is, is like, what's the top, can I take like, what's the top? Can I take like brain supplement and then like get <laughs> everything from there? Like, is everything going to be okay if I just take pregnenolone to, you know, mull my pretty 
progesterone go up? Will my cortisol regulate? No, as you said, there's genetic pathways. There's the epigenetics of what, how you are marinating those genes in your everyday life. That's going to direct certain, you know, certain pathways, certain preferences in those pathways as well. And yeah, let's talk briefly about uh, DHEA as well. Again, um, you know, I like how you call, I like how you call DHEA a bonus parent. Is that what you call it? Yeah. Yeah. What does DHEA do? I know I called it the bonus parent because, you know, it comes from pregnenolone, but then it, it does other things. So it's responsible for testosterone and estrogen. Uh, you know, DHEA, I, I call it in the book, the, the fountain of youth hormone, because that's essentially what it is. It's, it's so great in your teens and twenties and early thirties. And then it starts to go down sadly. Uh, and also it has a bit of a seesaw relationship with cortisol because they both come from the adrenal glands and, uh, you know, DHEA sort of, if you have enough DHEA, DHEA, it sort of reigns in the effects of, of cortisol. So it's important to think about DHEA as well. And again, we don't really hear about these hormones. And lastly, we started off and we will end with Dr. Sarah Godfrey talking about testosterone. This is something that I think most women don't put together. We, we assume that estrogen is phenotypically the female, the hormone of women that we must have it in, you know, in abundance and more so than men. And that's true. But what's also true is that we have more testosterone than we do estrogen. We have less testosterone than the guys do, but testosterone is the most abundant sex hormone that women have in the body. And this is important because this is going to be vital for our cognition, for our sense of agency, for our confidence, uh, our ability to take risks, our ability to build muscle, our ability to, or our desire uh, for sexual uh, interaction, our sex drive. I mean, sort of famous for that. And you'll hear Dr. Sarah talk about this in this clip where she's talking to one of her uh, patients who is very obviously a very successful woman who walks into rooms of, you know, lots of high rollers in that room. So there's a lot of pressure. And this woman through Dr. Sarah's coaching and guidance and mentoring has come to understand why testosterone is so critical and so involved in who she, uh, who she is as a, as a person. And so I would love that message for you, Betty, as you're listening to this hormonal mashup to really have reverence for each of the different hormones, irrespective of where you are in the arc of life, you know, in the hormonal arc of life, which all women go through varying stages of, you know, being in your teens and being pregnant and post childbirth and then and menopause and then, you know, perimenopause, et cetera, to just have a lot of reverence for the unique, um, uh, we'll call it hormonal stamp uh, that we have as women, that we are unique and distinct from our male counterparts who are also beautiful and, and you know, are are to be honored in their own way. But we know that the patriarchal, like we know that living in a society uh, such as uh, the one that we do, we already know a lot about and how to support men. There are, and there can be an argument for how we can better support men, you know, develop EQ and develop that emotional agency and how to identify feelings. But that is not my primary role to do. My primary role is to help my women understand their bodies better so that when you understand that maybe 
you're, you should be working out so that you can augment so that you can lift up your testosterone. Or if you, uh, you know, nasal breathe, uh, I know it's so funny to think like just nasal breathing is, you know, versus mouth breathing is going to be better for your testosterone and better for your estrogen and better for your sleep and your stress reduction and your mitochondrial biogenesis and all the things, uh, that is my, that is my role. That is, you know, the role that I've taken on as an educator and as a doctor, uh, for people in my podcast, people who I am teaching my clinicians, teaching my doctors as well, so that they can bring it to their, to their patients and their, and to their, um, communities. So without further delay, please enjoy this conversation or this clip with Dr. Sarah Gottfried. A lot of women think that estrogen is the most abundant hormone that we have. You know, it's responsible for our breasts and hips and about 400 other tasks in the body. But the truth is testosterone is the most abundant hormone that we have. So even though men have more, you know, on average, about 10 times more, women are still exquisitely sensitive to it. So I just wanted to highlight that point that you made so beautifully. So testosterone is involved in so many different things. I think of it as a major multitasker. I was just talking to a patient yesterday who uh, we've been talking about her testosterone for a while. She's a woman who's 52 and she's uh, gone through menopause about three years ago. And she was saying, you know, I think my testosterone is incredibly important to who I am as a person. And I agreed with her because She's someone, she's a female executive. She's uh, a risk taker. She has a lot of confidence. You know, she walks into these rooms with Fortune 500 companies and uh, her testosterone, I think is responsible for confidence, agency, definitely sex drive. That's, you know, sort of what it's famous for. But it also is a major part of her sense of vitality her mood, her stable mood, not feeling depressed. So what I see with testosterone is that some women start to decline, especially women who have been under chronic stress, toxic stress. We can see it begin to decline in the late 20s. So normally testosterone can go down about 1% per year after about age 28. That can be accelerated if you have excess stress, if that excess stress is driving up your cortisol and your insulin and you're eating more sugar, that can drive the testosterone down even faster and lower. So, you know, some women just have this decline that it can occur way before menopause. It could be in their 20s, their 30s. Maybe they notice it when they're in their late 30s or their 40s and their sex drive is just not what it used to be. Having sex with their partner is you know, if it even makes the list, it's at the bottom of the list. The other thing that we see is uh, loss of muscle mass so that you don't have, you know, we talked about the hands with growth hormone. This is more your major muscles. So noticing that, you know, maybe you're doing burst training at the gym and you're just not seeing the response that you would expect to see. That would be a cue to check your testosterone. So testosterone has its hands in a lot of things, some of which overlap with growth hormone, but some of which are unique to testosterone, especially vitality, agency, confidence, and sex drive. 
All right, all right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And I must give you the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer here. This podcast, Better with Dr. Stephanie, is for general information only. And the advice, recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare provider's advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship that has been formed and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. In other words, guys, be smart about this. Take it with a grain of salt. Take this information to your primary healthcare provider and have a discussion with him or her to make the best choice that is for you. Remember, I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. And these conversations are meant for educational purposes only. 